Hello, and this is Films for the Very First Time. Just wanting to intro the episode here as you're about to hear some very bad singing for about 15 to 20 seconds for our theme song, which is a parody of Feels Like the First Time by Foreigner. So uh, if you don't want to hear bad singing, just skip the 30 seconds button uh, and you'll be introduced to the episode proper. If you're open to hearing my terrible singing, uh, just keep listening. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Hello and welcome to Films for the Very First Time. Uh, my name is Jordan and with me, as always, is Casey McGeorge. How are you, Casey? Merchandise. <laughs> I'm doing great. How's it going, everybody? It's going good. I wish we could get some merchandise going with this. Uh, but <laughs> um, No, it's going well. We are, uh, I guess, let's just say it at the top of the show here. We're going to start moving to bi-weekly starting the next episode uh, just to give some of these things a little bit more time to to breathe because we're pumping out. This is our 19th episode. Of the, we're pumping out movies each week really, really fast right now. Uh, so we're going to move to bi-weekly for the next one. So uh, this is the last of the weekly releases. But um, no, I'm doing well. I'm ready to I'm ready to dive in. What movie are we talking about this week? All right. We're going to go back to 1987. We were in a void of Star Wars. We had no Star Wars at the time. Return of the Jedi had came out a few years before. Mm-hmm. We were about 13, 14 years before we would get the prequels on our screens. But luckily, there was a man there to fill that void. A man behind our hearts. We're going to go to 1987, and we're watching Mel Brooks's fabulous movie, Spaceball. You have the ring. And I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Now let's see how well you handle it. Um, yes, Spaceballs. Are you? I know you. I know you're a fan of comedy, and I know you're a fan of movies like this genre. Mm-hmm. But are you a Mel Brooks fan? Um, I think the only one I've really seen before this is Robin Hood Men in Tights. Did you enjoy Men in Tights? Yes, I love that movie uh, so much. So. Uh, and, and I'm, Richard, I'm like familiar with the producers to a stretch, but not like uh, Richard Lewis with his mole moving all around his face. Yes, yeah, not again. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to look at his filmography just to see if I pick up any History other of the ones. World Part One, Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles. Yes, I've Young seen Blazing Frankenstein, Saddles, uh, Silent Movie. He eventually did Dracula Dead and Loving It, which I think. If I if I'm correct, that 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 gave us Mel Brooks and Leslie Nielsen together. Hmm. Uh, I think I think Leslie Nielsen played Dracula in that one, so that gave us you know Leslie Nielsen from yes, Airplane and, mixed with and Mel Brooks, yeah. <laughs> together, yeah, because at that point they were both known for these parody movies. Um, so this movie was directed by Mel Brooks, 
Written by Mel Brooks, Ronnie Graham, and Thomas Nathan. Uh, stars Mel Brooks as President Scrooge and Yogurt. John Candy, comedic genius right there, as Barf. Rick Moranis as Dark Helmet. Love that guy too. Mm-hmm. Bill Pullman as Lone Star. Daphne Zuniga as Princess Vespa. Dick Van Patten, very underrated, underrated comedic actor, as King Roland. George Weiner as Colonel Sanders. Joan Rivers as the voice of Dot Matrix. Great name there. And an appearance by Michael Winslow as the radar technician. Uh, I had to include him because... Uh, have you seen any of the Police Academy movies? I think I've seen bits and pieces. I, I don't know if I've seen the full thing, but I do know him uh, and, and his sound effects. And Yeah. It was also in a Geico commercial. Yeah, it? I was going to say, people <laughs> might know him from the Geico commercials, but he, he really shot the fame. He's a comedian and stuff, but he really shot the fame uh, during doing those Police Academy movies because he did uh, the same thing in this movie. Uh, all kind of crazy sound effects that he actually does himself. Um, I think we're gonna have to change that for the Police Academy movie. Yeah, I'll see, I'll watch the full one um, for once. Yeah. Uh, released June twenty fourth, nineteen eighty seven. Uh, budget of twenty two point seven million, thirty eight point one million in the box office. So I already know part of the answer for this. So not a box office phenomenon. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Um. I know part of the answer for this, but Jordan, uh, where were you in 1987, and why had you not seen this movie prior to this? I was not born. Now, June 24th is two days before my birthday, but this is four years before I was born. <laughs> so it is, uh, you know, June 24th. I saw, I heard that, and I was like, oh, geez, that's, uh, it's around the right time, just the wrong year. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's where I was. Why I never watched this. I look, my dad and mom, they like Mel Brooks. I, that's how I watched Robin Hood men in tights, I believe. And also watched it in school. Robin Hood men in tights. What? Um, yes. <laughs> we watched we, Prison Thieves in school, but I don't know if they allow us to watch men in tights. But... Yeah, we did watch that in school. That was cool. Uh, we also did, um, I've seen Blazing Saddles. Uh so they were they were fans of those. I don't think they ever really got into the whole Spaceballs thing. Um So as people know if they've watched these recently, right, or listened to these, it's what I grew up with was was a lot of times what I saw in my house or what my parents already enjoyed and that I would um have, you know, to be able to pop in the VHS or whatever. I don't think for whatever reason they were big on on this one now in all fairness i will say even if they enjoyed mel brooks films right if you were not a star wars fan or like a space saga fan and my dad was not a star wars fan until 2015 my mom was but yes yeah, so that's another reason probably why. yeah so like yeah if you see this is like a parody of like star wars even if you're a mel brooks fan unless you're a huge mel brooks fan you know, you may not want to check that out because, you know, you're not in the Star Wars and space stuff. And I get that. Like, that makes sense. Um, 1987, I was nine years old. Um, I remember I was, I love Star Wars. I love Return of the Jedi. 
when I was a kid. Um, I remember seeing this a couple years later on VHS or on HBO. Um, I think I've shown you, I've sent you the video before of the uh, HBO what, thing. Yeah. Yeah. On Saturday nights when they had like their world premiere movies. Oh man, and that, that was great. So I, I think I might have even seen this on HBO after one of those those things. Those, those are always awesome. Um, so before we start with this, right? Something we need to add. Uh, 2013 television interview. Shortly before he received the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, American Film Institute Lifetime Achievement Award, which Mel Brooks would wholeheartedly deserve. But I'm glad he was able to get that. He stated he personally obtained George Lucas's full permission to parody any and all things Star Wars related. Which is great. Um, we all know Lucas was pretty protective in some ways of the Star Wars franchise before he sold it to Disney. He had his vision and he kind of did what he wanted with it, especially when it came to changing who shot first. And then stuff with the prequels, right. people may not agree with, but it was his baby and he was very protective of it. But one thing you can't say is that George Lucas, you can't say that he wasn't a fan of people parroting his stuff. Uh, he gave Mel Brooks help, and we'll talk about it later in this. Uh, Seth, Seth MacFarlane. Seth yeah. MacFarlane reached out to him to receive permission. And once he got the gist of what he wanted to do, he gave him a ton of stuff, including music, uh, like all kind of stuff as far as to parody it with Blue Harvest. And so, you know, he's protective of it and he wanted it a certain way. But I think he also realized like, hey, people see things different way and you can laugh at some stuff. And none of it was done mean spirited in any way. So he was willing to allow people to parody his stuff. And that, that's that's great, because not everybody is willing to do stuff like that. But his one condition was absolutely no merchandise of any kind could be produced in this movie. This is why Yogurt and the Dinks, which is the little people who are with Yogurt later in the movie, um, this is why all they talk about is merchandising, why all the merchandising in the movie was never mass-produced or sold in any way, and it's all ridiculous stuff. Spaceballs the flamethrower. Like if you look later in the diner, there's Spaceballs the placemat. Right? Right, right. And that's just more making fun of Lucas because Lucas was able to see the vision of merchandising and you know they let they allowed him to keep the merchandising rights and everything because they didn't think it would be that big of a deal. And then he became crazy rich because of that. Um so yeah. Uh, just, just want to get that out there that he did allow Mel Brooks and he helped Mel Brooks. He, uh, Industrial Light and Magic gave, uh, some help with some scenes we'll talk about later in the movie as well. Um, so it was a great thing. Uh, so when we start with the movie, uh, if you didn't know, but you were familiar with Star Wars, you can kind of tell this is in a similar vein. The music starts off as somewhat similar. Yes, right? it is very. It's not like, John Williams, but it's like a, off brand. Yeah, <laughs> off brand. Yeah, John it's it's a great value, John Williams, or uh, like Mister Burns would have said uh, has said in one of his episodes of The Simpsons, he got the Spanish non-union equivalent, the uh, senior still Virgo, <laughs> right? This 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 is the this is that version, including uh, the scroll, which 
you know, with, obviously he's a staple of Star Wars. But with um, blue font, it uh, kind of threw me off. But you still got the scroll. You know, <laughs> yes. It, yeah, it, you still do. The scroll talks about, uh, you know, how the space balls are lost air and they're trying to steal air from other planets, um, including the planet Dru- Druidia. And they're going to force its ruler, King Ruin, to, to, to give him the code to the airlock. Um, his daughter, Princess Vespa, has an arranged marriage to a guy named Prince Valiant. Um, and then we meet the ship, Spaceball One, commanded by Colonel Sanders with a Z. Yeah. And uh, President Scrooge's enforcer. Dark helmet to go kidnap Vespa. What what did you think of what did you think of the ship and like the two minutes we saw scrolling? Yeah, the ship? that's a, <laughs> it was a long scroll. It was a uh, uh, very long. I, I get the joke here of like, oh yeah, let's just keep it going for a while. Uh, felt a little long in that regard, but um, go big or go home. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, but no, yeah, I thought this uh, this opening, right? This is straight out of A New Hope and and what they're parodying here. Uh, parodying here. What, what did you think about our introductions to Princess Vespa uh, and Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders? I'm not too familiar with Daphne Zuniga, who who played uh, Vespa. But, She's done like Melrose Place, yeah, and a couple of like a bunch of those Aaron Spelling Thursday night soap operas. She was in both versions of Melrose Place. She did one. Of, she played the same character in both versions. She did another the same character in another one of his stuff. But she she's done a bunch of stuff like that, and then like other Lifetime and TV movies and stuff. Yeah, no, I thought she was great. Um, she was. Uh you know, like very striking at first, I'd say like, I was kind of like, wow. Yeah. She's very pretty. Um, but, uh, she was a babe as they would have said. In the <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, uh, our introduction to her is good. Dark helmet. Now, of course, this is the, like the one thing I did know about this movie, of course, is Rick Moranis as, as the Darth Vader equivalent here. Um, I love Rick Moranis. Uh, I do wish he had kind of more to do in this. I know, like, Dark Helmet is kind of like one of the main characters, of course, but, like, I, I felt like. I felt like we still didn't get enough Rick Moranis in this movie. Rick Moranis is an interesting character because I'm sure anybody who, who watched this film knows, like, he, he stopped making movies to take care of his kids. Um, can't knock a man for that. Can't knock him for that in any way, shape, or form. But people have wanted him to come back for various things. Uh, they 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 wanted to redo uh, the Honey I Shrunk or the like the Honey I Shrunk Kids franchise, and they they wanted him back, but he, he's turned that down. They want they tried to get him back for Ghostbusters. Um, you know the they, I think they tried to get him back for all three new Ghostbusters they did. Uh, the the one with the women, Afterlife, and then whatever the one that's coming up in um, Frozen get, Empire. I guess maybe there's a chance. I don't know. We might see him in some sort of cameo in Frozen Empire. I don't know. Yeah, after 2016, he clarified he is not retired. He's just more selective about his roles right now. So, 
I don't um, know if he's done anything in years, though. Like, and and no, I, the, once again, I'm not knocking him for that at all. The last thing I see, well, I mean, he was in um, Brother Bear doing voice work in 03 and 06, but he's supposed to be coming back for the Honey I Shrunk the Kids uh, reboot. Because didn't Disney make a TV show of that a few years back or something? So it's supposed to be coming out later this year, apparently, but Rick Moranis is going to be back as Wayne Selinski in Shrunk, which is coming out April 20th of this year. I didn't know that. Did But like I said, didn't they make a, a Disney, like a TV show? And They were talking about it. It just became this movie, I think. They were okay. talking about... They did make a show back in... Uh, the 90s, early 97, yes, yes. Uh, without Rick Moranis, but um, but yeah, he's coming back for the movie, uh, which is going to be. I know it stars Josh Gad too. Uh, okay, I, I could buy that. Is does I, I'm guessing maybe Josh Gad plays Gad plays one of his kids that's an adult now or something like. I believe so. I believe he is playing a kid of his. Favorite Rick Moranis role outside of Ghostbusters because that's just way too classic. Uh, Little Giants. I love that movie. Absolutely mm. love that movie. Um, have you seen Little Giants? Uh, which one is that? Is that a um... football little Pee Wee football yes. movie? Yes, I have. Yeah, Ed O'Neill. A long Albany time ago. Plays plays the uh, opposing coach. Okay. Um, glad to see he's coming back. I'd love I'd love to see him. I would love to hear that eventually, like, he made a cameo in, in Frozen Empire or something, and, and, you know, because I know all the other characters from the Ghostbusters films have made cameos and appearances, and didn't they even have, uh, like, a a hologram of Egon or something in the last one, or if I'm... Not a hologram, but, uh, yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to watch it. Oh, okay. We'll have to, we'll have to do it on here one time. Um... So eventually we we eventually meet uh Lone Star and his mog, half man, half dog, Barf. Um, and they're Winnebago flying through space. Uh, contacted by uh a ruffian who they owe money to, and then they we meet uh their their other, uh Pizza the Hut. Um what, what yeah, did this, you this did get a laugh out of me, Pizza the Hut. Um, it was, uh, it's just good wordplay. Yeah, he looks disgusting, by the way. I can't look at him. I really can't. But it is a disgusting look. I give you that. But the way that it is, like shaped like Jabba the Hut, and the fact that you know it's just a pun on Pizza Hut, but also a pun on Jabba the Hut. It's just, uh, it's just really good. And if you don't pay him, Pizza's gonna send for you. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about Lone Star and, and Barf? Well, it, it's crazy. Lone Star, like this, he's going to become the president in a little bit and then have to fight off an alien invasion. Um, in goes a few back years. to what, yeah, it goes back to what got us started with this podcast, which was <laughs> Independence Day. Um, yeah, no, I like Bill Pullman. So I thought he was great in it. I like John Candy. I did not like him in this role as I did not really care for Barf uh at all. Um 
He's, he's this, done this, some better roles. But. This is the Chewbacca substitute, right? Yeah. Um, to the Han Solo slash Luke Skywalker character of Lone Star. Um, but uh, I don't know if it's like the makeup on him or something. It reminds me of Cats. Like the musical Cats. So it was a little off-putting for me. <laughs> so they... Uh... They initially they were gonna it was like a full face thing of like a bulldog that they were gonna put on him. Oh really? But then uh Mel Brooks was like, Why are we we hired John Candy, right? People know right. John Candy. They wanna see John Candy's face. it's not like he's like one of these like, you know, Bill Pullman, he's got this ruggedly handsome face and everything, but people still wanna see John Candy's face. And it was like if we're gonna do if we're gonna put this big full mask on John Candy, like I can just get somebody else and save us a bunch of money on the budget. So that's when they went with the makeup that they used instead. Um, they, it, it was like four or five puppeteers that controlled various things like his ears, his tail, and stuff wow. like that. Um, so we we uh, we meet up with them. Uh, we eventually we see that Princess Vespa gets kidnapped. Right, it's her wedding day. Yes. Princess Vespa gets kidnapped with uh, with her narcoleptic bow. There, uh, Prince Valiant. Prince Valiant gets stuck behind Princess Vespa. Well, she, she, she runs away because she yeah. runs. She she leaves him at the altar. She doesn't want to marry a man that she doesn't love. Right. Right. And great voice work by Joan Rivers as Dot Matrix too. Mm-hmm. Um, she even got her. She even got in her trademark line of "Can we talk?" Right. Mm-hmm. As they're running away. Um, that's where she gets kidnapped by Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders. Um, but, uh, the king manages to, uh, contact Lone Star and ask for his help. Um, he's able to negotiate to get the money he owes to Pizza the Hut. So they go off and they're trying to find Princess Vespa. And it's this Mercedes-Benz spaceship that, you know, Guy got a good deal on leather seats, top notch, top of the lines. Yeah, and if you can get the car right, like if you yeah, can get the ship too, if we can get the ship back. Yeah. Um, they link up, they meet up, right? He, uh, Lone Star manages to save Princess Vespa, okay, and, and Dot Matrix, and they take him aboard their ship. Um, but of course, uh, there there there's some issues because she's a princess and she's snuck up snobby. Uh, Lone Star's this ruffian and he's the captain of the ship so they don't meet at first because Barf is the one that actually leads them onto the ship yes yeah right um but uh so so they're in the ship and they're trying to scoot away uh Dark Helmet goes tries to find uh they, they manage to get the Mercedes and the tractor beam to go to get the princess out and come to find out she's not in the ship um, what did you think of Dark Helmet's take on the Force powers that he had? Yeah, where he was, uh... The ring he puts on, and then he ends up shooting a guy in the balls. Yeah, this was, uh, the, the kind of thing... Another thing I knew about it, right, was the scene where they're kind of holding the ring over top of their balls, pretty much, with the lightsaber being a phallic metaphor 
Um, oh no, no, before that. But then, you, I know, no, I know. Yeah, so oh, I okay. knew there was a lot of humor with this type of, you know, with the, with this. So, um, it was it was strange. I'll say that. Like uh, shooting them in the uh, in the old balls. That's uh, not ever a good feeling, I guess. Um, but I mean, I don't know how else you could comically, comedically parody mix a up. force choke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like force choking is terrifying. Uh, I can just reach you from here and and choke you. Like that's terrifying. Uh, so what would be the opposite of terrifying? You have to find something funny. It would be, of course, this, right? Like I don't know how else you parody the the force choke other than this. Uh, but. The only thing was, I wonder, did is there a reason why he went with rings for like becoming the saber or using the force type thing? Because it was, because uh, at the end, of course, he doesn't need the ring, uh, Lone Star. But at first, it seems like it's set up like, oh, you need to have the Schwartz ring to be able to to use it. So it's just kind of like, uh, I wonder why he went that direction at first. I, I don't know. I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't really look too much into that. Um, it could be just one of those classic tropes of you think it's this, but it, it was inside of you all along. And, you know, right, right. Um, and maybe that was the easiest thing for them to find a way. Uh, Budget wise, it's probably not hard to make a, a small ring like that compared to something else. You know? Yeah, yeah. They look cheap. Yeah, the rings. Yeah. Um, so eventually. Uh, come to find out that um, they find out there was another vehicle that left, right? So now they're chasing after Lone Star. Um, and Dark Helmet realized, like, he, as soon as he hears it's a Winnebago that left, he knows it's Lone Star. So now he's going, he's going after him. He's determined he's going to get the Princess from Lone Star. Uh, Lone Star and Princess Vespa meet up for the first time. And it's kind of one of those love at first sight things because they're both in separate parts of the ship, but they're talking about each other because every princess that Lone Star has met has been this ugly buck tooth and all these nasty things he's saying. She's imagining he's this horrible human being, right? And they're going to go tell each other off because they're not treating each other the way they feel they should be treated. And next thing you know, they meet and it's love at first sight. They can't really speak to each other, but they, you know, they come to find out they're getting chased. So, uh, they they race off. Dark helmets uh, and baseball one is chasing after him. Lone Star hits light speed. So what does what does Dark Helmet have to hit? They have to hit ludicrous speed. Mm-hmm. Which it tickled me as a kid, and I still love ludicrous speed. And you'll still find a subset of people who. Like some people just won't recognize it, but you know, when it comes time to go fast with some, you'll hear you'll hear occasionally like hit ludicrous speed. <laughs> if I hear that, I'll get they'll get a giggle out of me because I know where it's from. And it becomes like plaid at some point, doesn't it, or something? Yeah, because <laughs> that's the thing. Like they they just take the they take the silliness to a level of like how silly. Mm-hmm. Um. Colonel Sanders is trying to warn him, like, hey, man, you got to sit down. We got to we gotta strap in for this. I'm good. Just let's go. Let's go. And uh, that doesn't work out well for him because they, they overshoot Lone Star, right? Then they need to stop. Colonel Sanders is trying to explain to him, hey, man, we got to slow down first. 
Just stop. That's an order. And Dark Helmet ends up going straight into his control panel, which is which is great. Uh, so, so what did you think as you're seeing the ship and the the coffee maker that they had that of a display there and stuff like that? I think this is also where we met Michael Winslow with his radar and stuff. Yes. What what, what did you think of like the inside of their their ship here and what's what's going on? I enjoyed the Mister Coffee gag within the Mister Radar gag. Uh, you know, where he goes over to the radar thinking it's, uh, the coffee machine thinking it's the radar and they're like, that's the coffee machine or whatever. And then, you know, next to it is the visual gag of Mr. Radar. Um, the, the Winslow stuff I thought was really, uh, I chuckled at that too. Cause it was, uh, you know, like I know who he was and he was nailing the sound effects. I'll say he was. I, I, like the first time he was doing it, I was like, "Is that really him? Is that really him?" <laughs> dude, dude is great at that. He dude, is. He's great. always been great at those things. And I like when they're you know they come over to to talk to him, and he's still trying to do like the almost like walkie talkie voice type yeah, thing, you know. And they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, right here. yeah." Um, uh, but yeah, no, uh, the inside of the ship, they they really nailed this, and uh, even like the spaceball helmets are like close enough to what you know they're supposed to be stormtrooper type stuff, but also some of those people on the Death Star that are right there kind of have like those half helmets where you still see their face and you see, yeah. but they have a helmet on, and it's kind of very similar to that. What did you think of? Who is this guy? He can't hit a thing. And he lifts up his helmet and he's cross-eyed. Oh, yeah. That was a good gag, too. Yeah. And then we come to find out he's like the nephew of another guy who's cross-eyed as well. And they're all related, right? Like, he says, how many he other of these people are... Uh, how many other a-holes are here? And everybody oh, yeah, yeah. but one person raises their hand. I'm surrounded by a-holes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the one thing you gotta give Mel Brooks with his writing and his the movies he makes like when the jokes come they come rapid fire like you might get a low to set up some story and get them some things going but when the funny comes it, it's 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 there finger gun bam 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 right right um what'd you think of president screw yeah he just kind of looks like a normal dude huh um you know because he's like a. I also want to say it's like a he's like almost like a CEO type figurehead is what he kind of looks like, you know, like his big office that he had. Um, but yeah, I I would say like Scrub didn't do it for me the way that like Dark Helmet does, you know, because he's supposed to be kind of like a parody of Palpatine, but you don't really, I don't think you really get that in this. He's more of like the actual figurehead. Of you know, what I'm saying like so. Palpatine yeah. is like an emperor; he is the figurehead, but we mostly see him as like a user of the Force and stuff. In yeah. this, I feel like the president is more of like just the figurehead and not the administrative. The, yeah, yeah, head. more like the administrative head. Yeah, I definitely I, I love the whole aspect too of the beaming over. Um, oh yeah, and then his head's on backwards or whatever. Because so especially the way they set it up is you know he's this is your Star him. Trek parody here is the beaming yeah. stuff. So, you know, there's there's a, a Ensign Scotts or something, whatever his name is. He's going to beam him over. So he goes into the thing, you know, as a safe, yeah. He gets beamed over. 
His head's on backwards. It's all messed up. So they beam him back over. We could try again. He's like, no, I'll just walk. And come to find out it's literally like through the next door. Um, and one thing that I think that I know that is very interesting is um, when you talk about comedy, the way that this joke works, I think, is he is apprehensive about it not working. Yeah. And safe? people say, no, no, it's safe. It's safe. Don't worry about it. And then with it, bam, of course, it, everything looks safe at first. And then you realize he's, his head's backwards. That is the comedy, right? It's like, boom, boom, boom. If he was like confident it was going to work and there was no mention of it, and then you get that, it doesn't work. Yeah. So it's like the master class of the Mel Brooks setup punchline, you know, type thing. And then add the secondary punchline of I'll just walk and it's literally through the yes. door. Like he and just also, gets up from his desk, walks out the door, and he's right there. And also when they're like when when he's like, uh, you know, why nobody tell me my ass is this big or whatever. Yeah. Uh so eventually uh Lone Star and his crew in the Winnebago, um they run out of gas, so they have to crash land on a desert moon, right? This is where uh, Tatooine parody. Yeah. Um, They're walking through the desert. Um, There's no water. Uh, Dot Matrix is talking about oil instead of water. But this is where they're met up with the Dinklings. Uh, Is it the Jawas they're a parody of? Yes. Yep. Um, Yeah. They're they're taken by the the parody of the Jawas, the Dinklings. And this is where they meet yogurt once again played by mel brooks um who had some he had some bad reactions to the gold paint on his face it kept giving him a rash and everything and in order to be so small he was walking on his knees even though he had knee pads on but it caused him some knee pain yeah that can hurt um what did you think of our introduction of yogurt and dinkings and merchandising so I knew the merchandising stuff. Like I heard that a lot as a joke that people would refer to for this. I had no clue about yogurt at all. Does nobody ever talk about him? Like, I feel like I've never heard this. Is he, is he, is he really the memorable one from the movie? No, not really. But I mean, like, I, I guess like I was surprised that there was a Yoda parody that I had no clue nope. about, you know, yeah. like, um, because I feel like that is, you know, that's one of the most iconic Star Wars characters, right? Yoda. So yeah. the fact that there was this and that Mel Brooks played him as well, um, that was all stuff brand new to me. Actually, I had, I had no clue about the president either when I was, uh, like, I really only knew Dark Helmet and then, like, John Candy's character. And that was it. Like, that's all I really knew. Parody-wise. Um, but, no, I knew the merchandising stuff, and I was just reading some of the history of that as well. Do you have that information that you wanted to share at all? Or? Uh, let me see what I got. I, I do got some stuff. I'm not sure you got the same thing. Um, I'm just on the Wikipedia. I mean, like what, what I heard is that George was like, like, I think you mentioned this earlier, George saying like, you know, you, you can't do the action figures. Yeah. Um, Which they made some strictly look like, for the movie, but that was it. Yeah. Cause he's like, they're going to look like mine. So if people confuse them. I don't, I don't want that. 
But then that agreement is what inspired Mel Brooks to write this yeah. whole merchandising thing. So of all the jokes in the movie, uh, writer, producer, director Mel Brooks says the two he's most proud of are the running gag about merchandising. Spaceballs, the breakfast cereal, the T-shirt, Spaceballs, the flamethrower. Yeah, you get um, like, I would say the scene itself of the merchandising wasn't what got me. It was later on when like you just keep seeing that stuff appear throughout the movie. That's what really made it work. Like I said, this last time I saw it, uh, just a few minutes ago before we got on, when they went into the diner at the end, I happened to be just be looking and saw Spaceballs the placement. Yeah, that was the first yeah. time I'd that was the first time I'd seen that one. Right, I'll have to go back and look at more of these. Um, Colonel Sanders running Spaceballs before it was finished, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but. But yeah, uh, I mean, Mel Brooks is a comedy genius, man, and he's up there in age, and that's gonna be, that's gonna be a really sad day when unfortunately his time comes. The the only good thing about it, if there's anything good, is we're gonna get clips and people are gonna rewatch be rewatching his classic stuff like this, so they're gonna get more people are gonna be more open to his work and see the work that he's done and how great it was, but it. That's going to be another one of those days where it's going to be like, man, we lost a real legend whenever that happens. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he's still working, too. Like, he put out something on Hulu, like, last year or something. Was it World, uh, History, of the World, History of the World Part 2? Yeah. yeah. Which I, I think I need to watch. I, re- I think I remember seeing that. I just never got around to it. Eight episodes. Yeah, I mean, like, it's uh, it has uh, Ike Barinholtz in it, too. Uh, the brother of John Barinholtz. Um so there's our connection to Superstore. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's amazing that he was still, he wrote it. He directed it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah. uh, he's still, still working. And 97 years old. It's crazy. Um, so while they're there, uh, the space balls are trying to find. Lone Star and his group, right? So they can't figure out like where they went. They crash landed, but they don't know where. So that's where Colonel Sanders gets the idea of, hey, give me a copy of Spaceballs the movie. Yeah, and they, they like, fast forward what? through it. Yeah, and so they they reload, they fast forward, they 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 get a copy of the movie because there's this new thing like an instant movie, and basically they're watching everything that has happened in the movie so far. Mm-hmm. Then they get to a point to where they're caught up in the movie. Yeah, so they can't watch it anymore. There's the whole thing of, when is this happening? Now. This is now. But what is then? That's then. This is now. I can't do that scene justice and try parody because it's just too Right, weird. right. But, uh, and then they fast forwarded a little more to see where they end up. And then they, they're on the, they're in the desert, right? Uh, so they, 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 they tell President Scrooge which is an anagram of Brooks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his his thing is called the desert. And this is a joke I remember as a kid that I've laughed at for years. Eventually they're, on, they're in the desert. Darth Helmet's helmet is a little bit different, but still just as big, goofy. And have they found anything? They're looking. They've got a couple white guys with a comb, nothing. A couple more white guys with a comb, nothing. There's two black guys with a pick. We ain't found shit. 
that joke has stuck with me since I saw this movie the first time, and it is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Man, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't envy them either, because like, uh, can you imagine how long it would take to comb through the desert with that stuff? <laughs> like, especially they already have like the track lines from where they went, and they were just yeah. going over the same spot again. I'm like, no, no, you got to start moving to the next spot, guys. Oh, so but. But the, the comedic genius in that is just so great. Um, eventually, uh, Dark Helmet has a connection with the Schwartz, which is this movie's version of the Force, mm-hmm. right? And he, he feels a connection, so he knows that Yogurt is somewhere nearby, which means if Yogurt's nearby, he, he can guess that that's where they're, you know, they're being kept. Um, Meanwhile, Lone Star is talking with Yogurt because he has this medallion around his neck with some weird language on it. He doesn't know what it means. Um, Yogurt promises that he, he, he can read it. He understands it. He'll tell him what it is, but now is not the time. He'll let him know when the time is right. Um, but he teaches him the power of the Schwartz, which is where he gets the ring with the S on it that he's able to use to lift up this big Yogurt Buddha-like statue that ends up falling on 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 uh, Barf's, Barf's foot, foot. Yeah, flattens it out. Horrible thing. Um. So they're crashing there for the night. Dark Helmet is able to send a message to Princess Vespa that it's her father. So she believes she's going to her father. Right. Uh, come to find out, it's Dark Dark Helmet. So he captures the princess, takes her back to the ship. Uh, what do we got? We got, uh, Lone Star and Barf immediately, once they find out, they decide they're gonna go after him, they're gonna rescue the princess. So, um, the, uh, what is his name? I forgot his name. Uh, jeez. Um, for who? Lone Star? No, um, Yogurt. Oh, yogurt. <laughs> gives him gives him the ring to channel the Schwartz. Gives him a fortune cookie that says, "Hey, when you're hungry later, here's something to eat. But uh, make sure you open it first before you eat." All right. And he's gonna go back to merchandising all his baseball stuff. Um, we got Dark Helmet. Uh, has the princess up there. He's talking to the people on Drusidia, and he lets them know that uh, he needs he needs the code to the airlock. So they can take the arrow. He's gonna, or he's not gonna kill the princess. He's gonna give her a nose job. He's gonna give her back yes. the nose that she originally had. Her original nose, yeah, yeah. Which, and you know, this is all very like, uh, too. They they make a few references with it where, you know, she's uh, druish, right, yeah. for a druid, and uh, you know, play on words with uh, you know, Jewish people, and then there's the stereotype of them having large noses so that's kind of what they're going for here um and mel brooks is jewish so like it's not like it's not like me or you making a joke yeah it's not like a a person hating on on jewish people or anything he he, i read he did get like some pushback on on some of the stuff that he put in there he did say he kind of regrets it but he also doesn't because it was kind of funny um yeah i mean like if it, it you know sometimes that's how you have to look at it, right? If he thinks it's funny, ultimately right. it's, it's his movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
I, I and I think like we just said, it, it, there is a distinct difference between him writing and making that joke and, and and saying some of those things as a parody, as compared to somebody else who's writing it, where it can be looked at as just totally mean spirited or ignorant. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, so, and I know some people be like, well, why can they say it and not and not us type of thing? Well, a lot of times he's poking fun at his own at his own, you know, culture. Yeah. Other times people actually believe like harmful things about Jewish yeah. people and yeah. you know or about any race and then it becomes like you said more mean-spirited. While the punchline might be close to the same, you can tell when it's like uh mean-spirited yeah. and when it's not. The intention behind it is, is Yes, is yeah. Matters. Um So once they get back to the ship now we get more of the Star Wars stuff, right? Because now it, it uh, we 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 get them where they they land the ship to uh, two of the bodyguards, which are supposed to be like the stormtroopers. Um, yes, go after yeah. Barf. They get beat up and their their uniforms and stuff get taken, but they come back later in the in the uh, in the in a couple scenes later, right? So uh, to try and exact revenge doesn't work, but you know. Um, they're not just forgotten. Uh, where we get, uh, they, they rescue the princess, but while they're rescuing the princess, uh, the spaceship turns into a vacuum cleaner. We go up to the airlock and he's gotten the code from the king for the airlock. And what is the code? It's one, two, three, four. Five. What kind of code is that? Yeah, what kind of idiot makes a code like that? And then what is it? The president. Uh, the, pre- the president. He's like. He's like that's, a, like that. that's the kind of code that an idiot uses on his luggage. This yeah. was back before nine eleven when you could you know you didn't have to have locks on stuff like that or, or you know you just had little. He's like that's the yeah. kind of code an idiot uses on his luggage. So once they give up the code, that's what President Screw says. It's the same. That's the same code for my luggage. And as they're going to do stuff later, he's like, "Change the code on my, change the password on my luggage." Right, right. Um, Yeah. Now that joke would have been like, "That's my password," right? Like, not my code for the luggage. So I feel like if you're updating this, it'd be something like, "That's my." It it would have been. It wouldn't have been a code. It would have been like password, and the password would have just been password. And that's when, yeah, like that's the same password I use for my email and my bank accounts. Uh, yeah. So. Which, for whatever reason, I don't know what group does it or whatever, but there's a group that comes out every year that talks about, you know, when you, it might be like Norton or McAfee or something like that, that talks about, you know, usually at the end of the year, so this is around the time we get it, where they talk about, you know, the the most used passwords of the year before. Mm. And, And usually, for whatever reason, every year, password is still one of the top ones. And it's like, why are people not, like, making their own stuff? Yeah, it's like the first guess you would put at this point <laughs> if you're trying to hack or for, into somebody. Or, or for a lot of things, if you have like routers or some you know electronic equipment, it's the default one. So that way, like if you have to yeah. reset it, it's you know simple, just password, and then you have to change it from there. So, but unfortunately, people aren't changing their passwords. Get strong passwords, people. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, and don't do what some people do and and uh, make the same password for every single account you have. No comment. 
<laughs> not remembering 58 passes, guys. <laughs> if you make it difficult enough, that shouldn't matter. Right, true. I'm probably wrong about that. By no means. Probably, yeah. I'm sure there's some listener out there that is like a certified hacker. It's like, yeah, you're definitely wrong about that. (laughs) All I'm saying is if you take, if you use upper, lowercase, and numbers. Special characters. And special characters and enough combinations in the same password, you might be okay for a little bit until someone figures it out. Don't take your advice from me. I'm nobody. (laughs) Um, we get we we finally get a meeting at some point between lone star and and dark helmet what did you think of their standoff here yeah is this the one where they when they whip out their father's uh, nephews oh yeah yeah yeah. and yeah and then they 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 whip out the rings and that's where we get the great line i see when you said when you said Spaceballs after we just talked Ferris Bueller, I I heard the you know father's cousin nephew thing before or whatever. It made me think to the classroom scene in in Ferris Bueller when the one girl's like, "I heard from Tracy's boyfriend's sister's brother said that Ferris is like you know like uh yeah. um so it was funny that we're doing both of these back to back." Uh, this is this is where we get the great line of "I see your Schwartz is as big as mine." Um, probably it's probably the most well-known line outside of maybe merchandising from this whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they they have like their little lightsaber fight. Great thing they get interconnected with each other. You're muted, but they they wrap around each other. Right. And, Sorry. No, that's okay. They get together, connect to their wraparound. Um, eventually, you know, they get separated. They make their escape. Um, as they're leaving, uh, they end up hitting a self-destruct. Um, so, oh, another another great line. She's went from blow to suck. Or she's oh, went from yeah. suck to blow. <laughs> So eventually, uh, you know, Lone Star is Mega Maid is able to use the, the Schwartz to uh, hit the switch to turn from from suck to blow. Um, they find a they find a uh, like I said, they find a self destruct switch. Uh, this was a great countdown. You have exactly two minutes and forty five seconds until <laughs> and once everybody hears that, all hell breaks loose on this ship. Um, everybody's leaving. Which it should. <laughs> everybody's leaving from like escape pods. Uh, we we also get um, where is it? Do, 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 do. Ah, the, oh, this thing's the first one. Uh, no, not the first one. Ah. Anyway, with this, there's good. There's uh with the escape pods, they, they got some actual unused footage from A New Hope. When one of the escape pods gets shot out. I was going to say, it looked movie. really good. It looked really close, yeah. They got actual footage from Lucas. So there you go. To, to For for that. Uh, that they use of the escape pod shoot leading. So, um, 
Also, great scene, Dark Helmet playing with his uh, action figures. Yes. Um, yeah. The scene in which Dark Helmet was playing with his dolls was not in the screenplay. Mel Brooks came up with the idea one day, told it to Rick Moranis, who improvised the entire scene. Um, and I know not a lot of writers and directors are big on their cast improvising. Like some com- some comedy ones are because they know like a lot of comedians come from the improv world, so they're they're mm-hmm. really good at those things, right? Sometimes they're not able to simply because of budgetary reasons, like especially when they were shooting film. Like you have to pay for that film, and you have to pay for that film to get developed. So the more film you shoot, the more money that's literally just being eaten out of your budget for thousand, you know, feet and feet and feet of film. So. And some people uh, just don't like other people changing their words and the vision that they have for these scenes. That's a lot of it. A lot of the ones that are very against it are, you you say what I wrote. I think uh, who's the a, ego? I think Dan Harmon is big on that, and nothing is Dan Harmon for that. Yes, yeah. Um, who's uh, who's who? Uh, who plays Chang from Community? Um. um. Oh man, uh, I I have his name. Um, but he he talked about it one of the first couple of days he was shooting Community, that uh he improvised a couple things and Dan Harmon didn't make a big deal there, right? Because he's not gonna embarrass one of his actors in front of the cast and crew. Not cool. But he did say come up to him afterwards and he's like, hey, I wrote these words specifically for this scene, specifically in this way. Ken like, Jeong. Yeah, Ken Jeong. So he's like, do not change the words that I wrote. Like, this is how I want it to be said. And, written. and, I, and I get that, too, because, you know, a lot. And, and this is what I think modern fans are kind of the problem at times. And I don't mean that in like a bad way. What I'm saying is like, how many times if I listen to Office Ladies, right? And it's, you know, they're talking about the office. Uh, so many of the questions from fans that they have to like, they had to kind of stop taking this question is people being like, Oh, was this scene improvised? And it'd be like a scene that, you know, most of the time would not be improvised. And the reason why is because it's actually sets up something in the future or it, you know, was just very well tied together. And it'd be like, no, that scene was written. And most scenes that they asked, is this scene improvised? We're written and people do the same thing for arrested development and it's like when you have a tight script something that you really like or community where there's layered jokes yeah you can't and- sometimes allow that but in this case you have brooks being like we just we just started this um let's see where this goes yeah and like i just thought of this idea of playing with the toy so why don't you just go ahead and do whatever comes to your mind Maybe we use it, maybe we don't, but let's see what happens. Yeah, but like you said, a lot of times that, and especially with stuff like community or like you said, Arrested Development, it might not be setting up a joke in that episode or that scene. It might be setting up a joke three episodes later that's going to be a callback to that. Like, exactly. you know, the people who've written, wrote, written these, these, these great things, like, they have a plan. So, like, I... I get it both ways. Like, you know, there's some people who are great at improvisation and they can do those things really great. 
But I also get when you have the writer and directors who are like, no, like I, I need it specifically done this way. And there's a reason. And sometimes you can't see that reason right off the bat, right? But maybe down the road, like who would have thought it would have taken three or four seasons to get a Beetlejuice joke out of community because they said the name Beetlejuice three times. And on the third time, there's a dude walking behind them, you know, dressed as Beetlejuice. Like, right, right. Who, who would, who think, who even thinks of doing something like that in the first place? Right? Mm-hmm. Dan Harmon does, but you know, um, so, uh, eventually, like I said, all hell breaks loose in, in, in ship. Everybody's fighting for all these escape pods and, and, uh, the president, uh, Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders aren't able to get one. But you have a gorilla that gets one. You have a bearded lady that gets one. Um, all these other people get one. Uh, I love the countdown, though. Because you, you get to like a certain point, and she's like, this is your last chance to hit the cancel button. <laughs> what? Go down the stairs. They get to the cancel button. The cancel button's out of order. So <laughs> it's the last 10 seconds. She starts counting down. She skips seven, ten, nine, eight, six. Yes. <laughs> Wait, no seven? Just kidding. Uh, and that like, who writes something like that? Mel Brooks does because it's awesome. <laughs> like I could, I couldn't think of writing something like that. Like, but he can because he has a, a wacky brain like that. Uh, you know, ship gets destroyed. We eventually see, uh, as we get towards the end, it goes to another planet, um, which is a parody of Planet of the Apes. And this was another scene I remember uh, as a kid was this one of the final scenes where they're climbing out the Statue of Liberty's nose there. Yeah, and there's like the Planet of the Apes reference here. <laughs> and it's old school, like the old school yes. rubber mask Planet of the Apes, right? And they're on horseback and they're talking. Who's in there? It's the space balls. And I just the line I, I always remember is oh shit, there goes the net. there goes the planet. Um, which I don't know, that always stuck with me. Maybe it's cause a dude dressed as a monkey saying oh shit. I, I don't know. <laughs> um The Lone Stars managed to save Princess Vespa. She takes her back home. She gets back to her kingdom. Uh she she's gonna marry uh Prince Valium. Right. Um, Lone Star leaves. Now everybody thinks he took the million bucks, right? I thought he took the million space bucks. Did you? Um, that's a good question because I feel like I'm not sure if I really had much of a thought on it. But if I'm sitting here thinking about it, right, and if I thought about it for longer, you have to think. How deep is this parody film going to go? And what I mean by that is we know in the original Star Wars, Han Solo does come back without really worrying about the money. So you're like, will they follow that same sort of trend here? Or do they just play it straight of he takes the money? So it is a very interesting question of when you look at kind of what is a successful parody and what's not right when you have a successful parody you'll do those deep things that match 
in non just the funny ways too right so like i don't know if people have seen some of these movies before but you know this type of parody compared to like meet the spartans or whatever you know the parody of 300 and like all these other movies that they throw together where there's no actual plot compared to this movie where it actually has a narrative structure. That's what George Lucas pointed out too, is how much he liked the structure story structure of the film and then being able to parody the movie, but also still have the heart in it of, okay, he's not going to take the million, the million dollars. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think I probably didn't think too much about it, but I think sitting back now thinking about it, it, shows just a good example of what's a good parody versus a cheap parody. So uh, we catch up with uh, Barf and uh, Lone Star as they, they're getting some gas at like a little space diner. Um, did you notice anything during the scene? Hmm. Not 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 off the top of my head here. The Millennium Falcon from Star Wars makes a cameo appearance. Does it really? Yes. Uh, if you if you go back and you look at the exterior shot of the Space Diner when mm-hmm. the Winnebago's parking, the Millennium Falcon is on the pad. Um, George Lucas got a chance to read the screenplay before production. He loved it so much he decided to have uh, ILM help make the movie, and he gave the Millennium Falcon to be put in there. Um, we, we also, in, in the space... Oh, diner, yeah, I see it now. It, it's one of those things, unless you're looking for it, you can miss it easily. Like, it, it, it doesn't stand out. Unless you happen to, like, either just maybe glance and like, hey, that's weird. Is, is that what I think that is? There you go. Or, or unless somebody tells you, like, Unless somebody tells you they did it, but yeah, like if you're just watching the scene real quick, you'll never know. Like you probably won't notice it. If you're watching on YouTube, there it is in the in the circle, the yeah circle there. But I'm sure there's some people who might have caught it, especially with VHS. Might have been like, I see what I think I saw. Rewind it real quick. Oh man, is that the is that the Millennium Falcon? What the hell is an aluminum falcon? <laughs> uh. We get an alien parody in this one. Um, Sir John Hurt. Uh, you've never seen Alien, right? Uh, no, not th- no. Have you seen the chest burster scene at all? Yes, yes, and this okay. is a. I, I've seen. Yeah, I noticed this as a reference to it. That is that is the same guy who had the alien burst from his chest in mm. Alien. Sir John Hurt. He claimed that Mel Brooks talked him into self-parodying his role from Alien by making it sound like it'd be just a brief walk-on cameo. Uh, when he got to the set, that's when he realized the entire scene was an elaborate spoof of the chestburster scene. And he figured he should have asked for a salary for, for showing up. But that is the actual... That's why he says the comment, not again. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so they're, they're there. Uh, you know, shenanigans ensue. And every time I hear that song, because the, the the little baby xenomorph bursts out of his chest, and then he starts singing "Hello, my baby, hello, my honey," and doing his little ragtime dance. Yeah, 
anytime I hear that, I think of that damn frog from the Looney, the Warner Brothers. Yes, from Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, I love that frog in those cartoons. Um, but so is there? They fly away. Um, but uh, Bart's still hungry because he really didn't get a chance to eat, right? So that's when Lone Star gives him the fortune cookie. They break it open, and like a. I don't want to say hologram, a mystical appearance. I don't know how to how to describe this. But we see uh, yogurt come out. He tells him that the medallion he carries around his neck, it's a royal birth certificate. So his mom was a queen, his dad was a king, which means he's a prince. So he can actually, he fell in love with Princess Vespa. But mm-hmm. because he wasn't a prince, she couldn't marry him. Um, but he left them some some special fuel, and they can head back to go to Princess Vespa's planet. Meanwhile, on her planet, um, she finds out from her dad that uh, that's where we find out that he didn't take the money. He took enough money to cover like gas and some incidentals or whatever. I think it was like three hundred bucks he took or something, and that was it. Um. What did you think of the wedding scene here, especially the, especially the, uh, the preacher, the Pope? The I like Bishop the preacher. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm just going to marry somebody like, please. <laughs> they went from the, he went from the normal version to the short version to the short, short version. Yes. Um, cause he kept getting interrupted and everything. He was, he was not happy with that. Uh, he comes back. They did a great change of clothes, I guess, in the spaceship. I don't know where he got a royal suit and everything from. That quick, especially, but he did. Um, him yeah, and, true. Him and Princess uh, Vespa get married and live happily ever after. Uh, the end. Um, yep, and it has the message of "May the Schwartz be with you" as they drive off. Uh, so let's see. I talked about uh, talked about how Mel Brooks said the gold color makeup gave him a rash on his face and neck. Um, so they had to shoot his stuff out of sequence. His stuff, his knees hurt constantly because he was uh, he's walking around on his knees. You know, he's wearing knee pads. Uh, it says in spite of the difficulties, he enjoyed playing yoga tremendously, and it was all worth it. Um, According to Mel Brooks, George Lucas loved this movie, wrote him a letter after its premiere saying he thought he was going to burst something from laughing so hard. Um, Lucas also told Brooks, had he not chosen to parody Star Wars, it, it would have succeeded as a great adventure movie. Um, he was, Brooks stated he was extremely flattered by Lucas's compliments and support. Um, and that, that, that's another thing, when you know, when you're parodying someone's film, right, or someone's work, like Weird Al is big on this, right? He parodies a lot of people's work. Um, sometimes they're going to like it, what you do. Sometimes they're not, you know. Um, famously, Coolio initially didn't like Amish Paradise. But I think before Coolio's death in later years, they were able to make up. And Coolio realized maybe he was taking it too seriously. And that Weird Al, one Weird Al doesn't just parody anything. He only parodies stuff he has a lot of respect for and he feels is like great in the first place. 
And he usually gets permission ahead of time, too. So it was like something where, like, Coolio, I believe, Coolio's team told him he could, and he thought he had the permission then. Yeah. And then Coolio was like, actually, I didn't ever agree to this. And then Weird Al's like, crap, I already released it. Like, yeah. your team said I could type thing. So, yeah, but those happen. It, like I said, later in his years, before his death, they were able to, like, you know, mm-hmm. patch that up. Well, Coolio kind of acknowledged maybe he was taking things too seriously, and a lot of people loved it. But that also led them, because a lot of times if you see some stuff from Weird Al, right, then you might eventually look up to see what it's based off. I'm a huge Weird Al fan, and like getting, yeah, it's introduced me to so many different types of artists and songs because I'll, you know, I didn't know them before the parody or something. You know, like a surgeon and eat it and fat. And but, um, I think I read Michael Jackson was a fan of, of a lot of the work the Weird Al did, but I'm not sure. He was no, yeah, he was. Uh, the 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 place that they film his Eat It parody is like Michael Jackson gave him like the exact location of where they filmed Beat It, and like yeah. gave him stuff for that, kind of like George Lucas with this. And yeah, like I said, the escape pod sequence is an unused clip from uh, A New Hope provided to No Books by Lucasfilm. Um, but yeah, it's not like I said, sometimes they, sometimes some people do like your stuff. Sometimes they don't, which that's going to happen. Not everybody's going to like everything, right? Especially if you're parodying their work. Um, but it's also a great thing when they, when they like what you're doing, you know, and, and they can look at some stuff, you know, and, and realize you did a different take on it. So it's fun. Um, who would, uh, Bill Pullman was not the first uh, choice to play Lone Star. You want to take a guess who might have been uh, the first I, choice? I think I read this, so uh, it was I, I, it was two Toms, right? That I that I had read. So, do you want to share who they are? Uh, I know the one I read was James. Uh, I got from uh, IMDb was James Cox. Really? Oh, I know that. He, they said Sorry, unfortunately he had uh, some. Uh, addiction issues at the time and they got an unknown Bill Pullman for the role because it was too expensive to insure James Conn. When I was reading about uh, Daphne Zuniga, I think it was. I was reading one of these things and it says that uh, when they were trying to get that he was trying to get Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks in this movie and they just kind of turned him down and, and he was kind of stuck with getting people like Bill Pullman. <laughs> um, I could see Tom Hanks in this because he did a lot of weird comedies, especially in his early days before he did like Philadelphia. Oh, here it is. It says Pullman got the part of Lone Star when Brooks and his wife and Bancroft saw him in a play. He had never seen star Wars prior to filming. Brooks had been unsuccessfully trying to sign big name actors such as Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. And Pullman said, I think Mel was hurt that they didn't take him up on it, but then it attracted two of the big comics at the time, John Candy and Rick Moranis. Uh, Once that was secured, then he said, heck I'll go get somebody uh, nobody knows. And I got the chance to do it. So maybe he was trying to get them for like the John Candy and Rick Moranis roles. I'm not sure. I I know I read on IMDb. Uh, Moranis recommended John Candy for the role, and that's how he got it. Um, you want to guess who was the original choice for Colonel Sanders, which would have made this a very interesting movie? 
would have been the original Colonel Sanders? No. <laughs> That'd be great. No, who might is have, it? Might have been dead at that point. Steve Martin. Oh, wow. I can see Steve Martin playing that role. Yeah. And that would have that would have gave him another opportunity to team up with uh, John Candy there. Somehow I could have seen like Dan Aykroyd in one of the in, in this movie in some way. Yes, too. I could see Dan Aykroyd as one of these space balls or whatever. Um so remember the twins that uh President's group met up with earlier? Yes. In the movie? Yep. Um Charlene and Marlene. Uh, when President Scrooge meets them and tells them to chew their gum, that is a reference to the doublement, the doublement television commercials that the Gallup twins had appeared in. Oh, geez, that's a deep cut. So back in the day, uh, doublement gum used to have commercials, and they would have sets of twins in all their commercials for doublement. Um, Juicy Fruit was usually when they did Juicy Fruit commercials. If you've seen the parody on Family Guy. It's kind of like that where they would do like snowboarding and skiing and extreme sports mm-hmm. and bicycling and stuff. Um, but Double McGum, for whatever reason, had twins in it all the time. Because of Double. Um, so, I watched this today on Max because that's where it was at the time of this recording. That's what it was appearing. Now, I had this on DVD and I was going to watch this on DVD and I did not. And the reason I did not is because some of you guys may not know, back in the day when DVDs first came out, sometimes you would get a two-sided DVD. Mm. It didn't, like, you know, when you open it up today, if you have a disc, usually on the top, there's like, you know, the title and picture or whatever they print on there. That wasn't always the case. Sometimes you would have like the normal four by three on one side. And you could flip the disc over, and that would have the widescreen version of it on the other side. And like that, you know that, like in the ring where like the DVD goes on the notch, that little circular ring. Yeah, that's the where middle, they usually put the little label. That's where you would see like Spaceball, and it being real small words. But and for the life of me, I've never been able to figure out because it would say like Spaceball widescreen, Spaceballs full screen, right? I can, I've never been able to figure out which side is which until I put it in. Like, if it says wide, if you're seeing it say widescreen, does that mean you're watching the widescreen version? Or does that mean you need to flip it over because the widescreen version is the one that needs to go down to be able to be read on the disc? So, it should be to, facing up. It should be facing up from what I remember. Yeah. I didn't want to fiddle with that. So, so I said, it it's streaming. I watched it on Max. And then I had to watch like sets of commercials. But oh, whatever. They yeah, were like you don't minutes. have the commercial free one. They were like 60 seconds. It was whatever. But yeah, like... DVDs, I watched it on Max, but I have the ad free. DVDs back in the day were, were kind of wild at times, guys. Then then for a while, we had double layer versions where you could get the widescreen and the normal one you know, on the same side of the disc. Mm-hmm. And that's where you could choose between the two of them. Um, oh, man, I forgot this again. Yeah, uh, give me one second here. Uh, mm-hmm. do, 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 do. Sorry, you can if you can figure out something to stall about this movie, that'd be great. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I watched it on Max. It was 
uh what an hour 37 36 minutes yeah it wasn't that long that was that was a good thing it was only like no yeah it was pretty long. short yeah which uh, is sometimes oh, good sequel they've there's been talk for many many years about there was an animated show, series wasn't there too there was there's been talk many many years about the sequel um mel brooks stated he did want to do uh a sequel called Spaceballs 2 The Search for Money or something, right? But, uh, and him, he was going to get Rick Moranis back for it, and this was a while back, but for whatever reason, it just never worked out. Um, there's still apparently talk about a sequel, but um, I don't know. And, it, and then in, like, 2015, there was talk about maybe doing a sequel with the newer versions there, but Once again, it just never, never really worked out for whatever reason. And now with Disney, I, I don't know if it would be done like yeah. in, as much in tandem with them because like they shut down all that kind of stuff once they took over. Um, it, yeah, it was one thing yeah. when you were getting permission directly from Lucas. It's another thing when you have to go through Disney, Disney yeah. to get permission, and, and they everything they do, they want it to be. You know, uh, they wanted to be uh, canon. Oh, also, did you see when they were pulling out uh, the Spaceballs VHS tape? Did you see that they had a shelf of all of Mel Brooks's movies? Yes, yeah. That was good. All right, so IMDb rating. 204,000 ratings. We got 7.1 out of 10. Uh, Metacritic, 14 critic reviews, 46. Bastards. Uh, user score, 200 reviews, 7.9. Rotten Tomatoes, or as the people over the pond call it, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, for Spaceballs, we have 57% tomato meter. But 83% with 250,000 plus ratings. So critically, it wasn't really rated well. But for the most part, the audience tended to like it. And at the same time, I can see that being the fact that if you're going to see this, like you, you either A, are a fan of the Star Wars stuff, right, or space stuff. Two, you're probably already a Mel Brooks fan, or comedy fan at least. So, this is the kind of movie you're, like, the average person isn't going to go see and probably come out of the theater saying, I really didn't like that movie. It's not your big box office thing. It's not, you know, the newest blockbuster, right? This is for a very specific niche. And if you're going to see this movie, you're probably a fan of movies like this in the first place. Um, I give it a four and a half out of five. Um, I remember from my childhood. So, once again. Uh, there might be some nostalgia tainted in this, and I can't can't deny that. But I think as far as Mel Brooks' parody films goes, it was really well done. Um, I didn't know till today that Mel Brooks got a lot of help and everything he did from George Lucas for it, which is, makes it even better. Um, and it was just a goofy movie that I enjoyed seeing. So let's say you, Jordan. All right. I have this as a two and a half. Um, that's surprising. I thought you'd have it higher. 
I I thought I would too when I was uh you know because look like I said I like Mel Brooks I I've watched um Blazing Saddles which I really enjoy Robin Hood Men in Tights is one I revisit a lot um plus I love Star Wars so I thought that would be but I, so I think there here's a problem one this movie's been very hyped up for me uh people talking about Spaceballs for a while two while this one was first. I feel like there's been parodies done afterwards that have kind of done some of the same gags. So it wasn't as fresh for me as it was for the time it was released. So, you know, like I can appreciate it, but you know, I've watched those family guy parodies. I've watched other parodies. So it's like, um, you know, that's kind of the, the downside of getting to something later that was so trend setting in a way, right? Because like there, there's people out there that will watch, you know, um, let's, let's say there's people that'll watch like Seinfeld nowadays and be like, ah, not that, not that great. I've seen some of these same jokes in other shows, but it's like, yeah, but Seinfeld did those first, <laughs> you know, like, but like for, for them, they've been, ex- they've been experiencing those or those type of things. So, um, I think it started off very well. I think for me, it really hits a little bit of a drag when they get to the desert planet and have yogurt and stuff. Like, I, I think the beginning of the movie was very, you know, with the spaceship, um, like focusing on them and, uh, you know, getting that classic Han and Leia type of, um, sexual tension between the leads type of thing. Uh, Another really great joke that worked for me too is her wearing the Leia hairstyle, but they're like headphones um, when she's driving. Yeah, I really liked yeah. that one. <laughs> so like, you know, I would say some of this stuff really worked for me. Some of it didn't. Um, okay, so I do qu- have it as two and a half. Yeah. Two questions for you. One, do you think you could have rated it higher had you seen this earlier? So I think so. Let's say maybe you hadn't had a chance to see some of those other things, right? You saw it maybe in the early two thousands, right? Do you think right. do you think you could have enjoyed it more, or had maybe I think, given it a higher rating had it been fresher at the time? I think I could have, yeah. Um, because I like, like I said, some of the stuff really worked for me. That like I was stuff that I didn't know, but when I got to any of the scenes that really were like famously referenced i found them underwhelming and i think that's part of what happens when you're living in pop in in a time where pop culture references can be so saturating yeah they fly at you yeah yeah so Um, like when i see like the the schwartz scene right or if i see the the merchandising scene those were ones that i had heard of and people have you know, referenced a million times that when I got to them, I was like, Oh, okay. I thought that scene would be a bigger deal since people quote it all the time. And I was enjoying more of the other gags that I never even knew were a thing. Um, so I do think the grading could have changed and I'll say, you know, I know we get the question of $5 bin. Yeah. Yeah, I probably would buy it at $5 bin and I'd love to give it another try later on when I'm a little bit maybe now that I know what the movie is, right? Like, uh, kind of go into it a little differently, but, um, that was actually going to be yeah. my next question was if you saw this in a bin, um, 
a discount DVD bin somewhere or Blu-ray bin, would you would you pick it up for like five or ten bucks? Yeah, it'd have to be Blu-ray. I don't buy DVDs anymore. <laughs> buy I'm a quality snob when it comes. Yeah, to that. I, I get you on that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's where I ended up on that. So, uh, I, I I'd be honest. I thought you would have liked it more. But I can understand your reasoning of why you didn't get as much enjoyment out of it as I thought you would have. Like that makes like that does make sense. Like not, you know. I think I could probably give it a three. Uh maybe on like a rewatch, you know? Like yeah. I, I but I think it's not gonna get to It's not uh, gonna be a five star movie. Like, a five out of five. Like, yeah. hey, guess what? Robin Hood Men in Tights is probably a five out of five for me. Now if I revisit it, probably not. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, at some point I'll, I'll go back and maybe watch that and, and see, but like that is for me, like the Mel Brooks movie. Uh, that is one I still really enjoy a lot. I think Blazing Saddles is my favorite. Yes. That one's up there too. So, yeah. Um, so what am I right. watching next? What are you watching next? I just locked this in yesterday. I was thinking about it. Um, but we're going to go and remember everyone, this will be next time, which will not be this, uh, next week. We're going to start going to the bi-weekly. We're going to go with a James Gunn film. Okay. And we're going to go not with Marvel. We're going to go to the other side. We're going to go DC comics and we're going to go with the suicide squad. Not to be confused with Suicide Squad. Are you in or out? Good. Let's meet your team. Each member of the team is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. This is Christopher Smith, known as Peacemaker. In his hands, anything is a deadly weapon. His father was a soldier who trained his son how to kill from the moment he was born. Are you having a laugh? What? You just said each member of the team is chosen for their unique abilities. He does exactly what I do, but better. Next up is King Shark. Bullshit! What the fuck? Some people claim that Nanawe is a descendant of an ancient shark god. Whatever the case, he's strong and deadly. Does it talk? Book read. Wow. <laughs> Looks upside down. See that? It's pretending to read a book. So smart, me. Next, we have Cleo Cazzo, Ratcatcher 2. Well, we couldn't afford Ratcatcher 1. He's dead. This is his daughter. Cazzo, will you be joining us? I just woke up. I don't function well early in the morning. My deepest apologies for disturbing you. <laughs> it's all right. Get your ass out here. Millennials. Suicide Squad was 2016 film that was widely panned. This one is the sequel slash reboot. It's not really like you don't have to have seen anything before this, um, but it has some of the same characters and it's called the Suicide Squad. And it was by James Gunn in 2021 and to a uh, high critical acclaim that we'll dive in here. But this one is in uh, this is at two places right now, Netflix and Max, as Max is starting to sell a lot of their 
movies to other stra- uh, streaming services as well. So this one is in two places. So wherever you want to watch Netflix or Max. But yeah, this is rated R, by the way. Let's. Uh, this will be one of my only rated R picks, I feel like. All right. You know what? I'll be honest. I didn't. The first so Suicide Squad, just Suicide Squad could have mm-hmm. been better. But I didn't think it was as bad as people said. I mean, I don't know what they I'm, were really expecting. I'm usually in the same camp of I went and saw it and I was like, that was fine. It wasn't like um, it wasn't horrible. By any no, no. There's been worse movies that I've seen. I, I do. I've, but I, I like have, this one more. I have read that there was a bunch of stuff that got left on the cutting room floor of Jared Leto's Joker. Thank God, of, yes. But that, that <laughs> sorry, I don't like. That's my least favorite part of Suicide Squad is Jared Leto's Joker. But apparently, that the stuff that got cut it made the movie is to what it was, and it's one of those. It could have been like what is the air cut of. Yeah, David Ayer is still pushing for that. He's kind of stepped oh, back no. on pushing for it now. But, but yeah. it, it like it could have been like basically it's like the Snyder Cut where like people are saying it does change the movie. People have worked on it and seen it says it does change the movie enough that it does. It makes a huge difference. But I don't know if it was the studio that mandated a lot of those cuts and made you know because um, they do tend to get involved with a lot of these things and that sometimes kind of wrecks it. So I. Like I'm, I'm of, I'm of the opinion that you know. I would like to see the other version. Um, mm-hmm. I will say the trailers for those were damn fantastic. Like, well, that's the thing too. Like, apparently the trailers were cut to try to capitalize off of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and was not indicative of the tone of the film. So then they started trying to cut the movie to fit the tone of the trailers, and that's where all the stuff kind of gets left behind. So. Uh, that's kind of the background of the original Suicide Squad. This one um, was taken over by James Gunn after he got fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 before they rehired him. He said, uh, you know, they gave him everything at DC. They said, you can make any movie you want. And he said, I want to make the Suicide Squad. And this spun off a TV show, Peacemaker, which is fantastic as well on Max. And uh, spun off Birds of Prey. No, no, I mean Birds of Prey was first uh, before this. Birds of okay, you you know better on this one. I thought Birds of Prey came after this. No, Birds of Prey came out in twenty twenty because it was one of the last movies I saw before COVID shut everything down. When did this? But it does feature Harley Quinn, uh, which is when did this one come out? Twenty twenty one. Oh, okay. Um. And it had one of those like released on Max and uh, theatrical at the same time. So the, you know, uh, box office was not as as good, but we'll dive into all of that stuff next time. Um, but yeah, so this will uh, this will be fun. All right. Anything else before we head out? No, no, that's about it. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for watching and listening along. Make sure you subscribe or like the video for us here. Uh, You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, send in any sort of feedback to the social handles below. uh, Or even if you say, hey, 
what about this movie? And we can tell you if we've seen it or not. So that way, maybe if not, maybe we'll do it sometime. But should be fun. Can't wait to talk about this movie next time. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch you next time.